Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen and with me are Devendra Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show everyone. On today's episode of the podcast, uh, we got some what we've been watching and then we're going to move on into an in-depth review. This week we'll be reviewing Bad Education, the new Corey Finley movie that's streaming right now on HBO in the U.S. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, so before we get into today's festivities, gents, uh, we are recording this in the midst of a global pandemic, and I'd like to check in with y'all just to see how you're doing. We're recording this right now on Saturday, May 2nd, although the release date of this episode is a little bit later than that. Uh, but yeah, how are you guys doing uh, this week? Devendra, how's how's your week been? How's, <laughs> it how's is, surviving this week been? It's been a hellish week, a lot of work. I don't know why. All of a sudden, even though I'm not commuting to work anymore and like, you know, not taking meetings in the city, all of a sudden my work time has like vacuumed up so much of my life. But it's not on purpose, I promise. The next week is also going to be hell. But I think uh, we're looking at like a path forward to Nevada, New York. Hopefully Georgia and all the crazy rules, you know, everything happening there. Hopefully it doesn't go too bad because I, you know, we found cool places we want to kind of end up eventually. So that's my plan. Maybe move within the next month or two. That is exciting. Yeah, that's exciting, dude. Yep. And it's also very hard to kind of do that safely. So we'll see. uh... I keep, yeah, I keep getting messages from like Delta and the airline saying, Hey, you, you can travel. We've, we've definitely you know made flying safer and they're like trying to book people by not booking middle seats and spreading out passengers and stuff but we we'll see we'll see how it all goes man that's it just the the logistics of moving especially across states is a nightmare and a headache anytime but i I just had a, a buddy move into a new place in the same town and he they did movers and then they had the movers just load all their boxes into the garage so of good. the new place. And yeah. then they left them there for three days just to be safe. <laughs> really? You know, before okay. moving okay. in. Uh, it's just like, it just seems like such a, such a headache. I, I feel for you, man. It is basically like doing, um, you know, it's like doing a whole heist plan or something. Like I got to get yeah. this stuff from here <laughs> over there. You get these people here. Team A is going to move the boxes. Team B going to move the child. We have two cats. Two cats. Oh going to go under the seats. Um, it's a whole thing. Uh, hopefully it'll go okay. Like I, I hope, like in a month or two, that at least travel, safe travel, and very like being very careful about how you move around is going to be a little better. The other choice is driving to Georgia from New York, which I've done before, but I would not want to do with two cats and a baby. So we'll see how it goes. Sounds like a script waiting to happen. uh, No no pandemic scripts, please. Like, I think once we're out of this, anybody who's, like, sitting at home writing their pandemic, you know, masterpiece, please don't. Let's uh, let's move (laughs) on. There's so many. I'm sure there's going to be so many rom-coms about trying to kiss with masks on. Oh, oh, the stories will tell. Oh, boy. I think one question, though, like a legit question, I agree with you that. Uh, many of us will n- never want to return back to this phase in our yeah. lives again, like we, like through popular culture or anything like that. We're just yeah. like, our hey. children will wonder, like, why do you always have a month of food, you know, stored in the basement? <laughs> I uh, hope, I yeah. hope they wonder. I hope it's it it seems like a strange affectation and not the new yep. way of life. Yeah, right, <laughs> yep, yep. right. Um, but uh, there, I think there is a legit question of how pop culture is going to deal with all this. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when we go see movies again in a year from now, because uh, by, by all things that I've read from experts, uh, this is something that's going to be with us for years, right? This uh, dealing with this is going to be something that's with us for years. It might not be we're in quarantine for years, but like there may be like stops and starts to the social distancing, mm-hmm. uh, starts and stops to the lockdown measures uh, until a vaccine is made, which by the way, uh, there may never be a vaccine. There's plenty of things right. that we don't have vaccines for, you know? And so, uh, years from now, like one or two years from now, when we've burned through all the media that was made before the pandemic, how much do we want the uh, stuff we watch to reflect the reality that we live through, you know? Yeah. 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 I assume yeah. it's going to be a lot, you know? I assume that there's going to be things that talk about it or uh, reflect it in a meaningful way. And I'm, ju- I'm curious, like, what that will mm-hmm. look like. I, obviously, that's not... Um, you know, it's it's the topic that we talk about here on the podcast. There's obviously far more important things happening right now, but that is yeah. something I wonder is, uh, is you know, will characters be dealing with social distancing in mm-hmm. sitcoms that we watch? You know, in uh, cop dramas and so on. Um, I just I, I just like... want to see things paint a better future, basically, because we've spent so much time with post-apocalyptic pop culture. You know, because yeah. like we we have taken like all the all the things we're feeling, all the anxiety we're feeling in the world, uh, like uh, t- terrorism and how uh, countries are dealing with that and global inequality and all sorts of things. And we've taken that to the logical end of the end of civilization. But now that we've actually previewed something, you know, that could potentially end civilization, where do we go from here? Hopefully more positive. I don't know. I would like that, too. But I think you're right, Dave. I, I even just watching television now. Yeah, the, it, it it feels like I'm looking at a window into a world that it, like like watching an old movie or something. It's not, you know. There's, mm-hmm. I always when I watch things I have a weird preference that I've never really voiced before. But I always prefer a movie to say uh, when they you know it puts a a Chiron up at the bottom of the screen to to t- to place a movie. I always mm. appreciate it when it goes today. You know, instead of like 20, you know, 2009, because then, Just you know, a reminder. Fi- five yeah. years later after 2009, you go, oh, this feels old. Instead of like, we're trying to place it now, you know, a movie will, will show you a, a flashback or something, and then it'll come back to, to where the main story is set, and it'll say like, today or now, you know? And like, you can't do that anymore, because it just sounds, it seems like a a, a crazy um misunderstanding of what now could possibly be you know it's not mm. it's not now that no one is doing the things in your show or movie now you know one's doing it so it's that was is weird to me and also uh i uh the wife and i last night decided to check out the the first episode of upload and literally the very first <laughs> shot of that show is yep uh, a panning shot in a subway car across in the future, right? In the near future. And it pans across a guy wearing a mask, a face mask that like you see all over the place now in real life. And my wife and I both audibly gasped. <laughs> yep. Because it was like- crowded, jam-packed in the yes. subway car and then people in masks. Yep. It was yep, so yep. so prescient and like, how is it possible that they could be showing us a reality that we're actually living in? Because <laughs> everything we're watching is showing us this weird, bizarro world that doesn't exist right now. Uh, it, it really, yeah. it generated a reaction from us that was shock. <laughs> it's also been interesting to read about how productions are going to go back. Um, and there's going to be a lot of, uh, different measures taken when it comes to producing things. Uh, I 
don't have any knowledge. I'm just speculating and f- from reading in Variety and Deadline and things like that. But uh, people have considered things like you know sets that have no more than 50 people or see you know it, it's it might change and shape the actual stuff that gets written. You know, you might not write a thing with. 50 extras anymore because you know you can't execute it or you need you'll need to execute it using visual effects um and i i i'm kind of interested to see what is going to happen with the impact of this in pop culture but I, I agree with you jeff that it is fascinating to look back on i i think uh because for me it's mostly cringing it's mostly hey we're in this scenario now where we're social distancing uh, and we're certainly not touching anybody else uh, outside of our family units. And uh, when you see people gathering together in rooms and t- t- like tightly, you know, packed rooms or shaking hands or hugging yeah. uh, on TV and film, it is very jarring. Like at first, when this first started, my my insides were like screaming, like, "No, don't do that! It's not safe." Yeah. Um, now I've gotten more used to it, but it, it is a kind of. <laughs> It is this kind of adjustment you have to make to like this life we're living with is so far removed from the media that we're watching mm-hmm. right now because the media we're watching was made in a different era. I um, do like what you said before, though, and it seems like a very big silver lining for me personally that we might be getting a whole lot of movies like the ones I like. It's just my dinner with Andre all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally the one silver lining of this whole fiesta. Two people in a place... <laughs> Maybe not even that close together. Just talking. Make those movies. I will devour them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see the interest, the impact on pop culture. Jeff, how are you doing this week, dude? I'm doing great, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been, never been better. Uh, no, honestly, uh, I we had an, I had a pretty amazing week. Um, just uh, professionally, like we had the first anniversary of the dungeon run last week. Congrats. And it was incredible. The fans put together like this this tribute show for us and a video and a book and like all just generated by the fans. It was amazing. Um, so that's cool. And, you know, there's there's all these there's all these bright spots. Uh, I don't want people to think that there aren't bright spots. It's just, wow, man, the the slog through the tunnel that doesn't have an, uh, a light at the end of it is is the hardest part. And I think, you know, every week we we talk about just it, – it, it doesn't change, right? We don't know anything still, um, despite the fact that just yesterday I got an email from my son's school saying, hey, we're going to reopen in two weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> that seems optimistic. And mm-hmm. um, and I appreciate the optimism, but but my wife and I are now struggling with this idea of whether we allow my son to go back to school or not. So – I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I saw this tweet uh, recently about how we experience time. It is interesting that didn't March feel like it lasted forever, but April felt like it went extremely quickly. I don't yeah. know if y'all felt that way. Like March, For I felt sure. like every day was an ordeal. Yeah, and then Somehow April standing still, like being at home, has like yeah sped things up quite a bit. And and then April was just like whoop, it's gone. Like I don't, I barely remember April at all. Um, so I feel like the weeks go by faster and I don't understand that it, it, being home, it, it should feel slower. Right. But it, mm-hmm. it feels way faster. Like I can't keep up with, cause there's with no the distinction days. probably right yeah. there. There's little distinction between our days. So it's all just, our brains can't process that. It's all I one do, block. I do have some techniques that I have developed for, uh, dealing with that 
time compression. Uh, I, I have a calendar <laughs> where I, I cross off the <laughs> like, day every day. Like I, I have like on my desk, I have a calendar. It's just hang in there, day. kitty, every day. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hang in there, I've, kitty, uh, every day. Hanging in there. Crossing out the calendar. Yeah. Dave is like, I, I have been... Uh, innovating some outside the box ideas of keeping track of the day. <laughs> yep. One yep. of which is called this thing called a calendar. Yeah. Yes. You, it's also so. a paper calendar in case uh, our global systems fail and everything goes to hell. Yeah. Perfect. I'm also just say uh, just the physical act of crossing off the day and then you <laughs> at the end of the month you look at all the days you crossed off it's like, "Oh, that's that's time that passed yep. by in my life. I did yep. something." Yeah. Yep. Uh, here's the the thing that sums up my situation. I saw this piece in The Onion that I just thought was brilliant. I'm going to read a little bit of it. But the headline is, man not sure why he thought most psychologically taxing situation of his life would be the thing to make him productive. (laughs) (laughs) So... So good. Anyway, it, the article says, quote, admitting that a highly contagious, deadly pandemic had done little to stoke his creativity, <laughs> local man Michael Ayers confided to reporters Wednesday that he wasn't sure why he had imagined the most stressful situation he had ever experienced would be the thing that finally made him more productive. Despite my high hopes, the most devastating crisis of my life hasn't turned out to be the catalyst I needed to meet all of my long-held personal goals, said Ayers, <laughs> who added that he had no idea what he was thinking when he told himself that being furloughed from his job and enduring a sustained period of emotional isolation would be just what he needed to start eating better, acquaint himself <laughs> with world cinema, and get a jump start on the novel he'd always wanted to write, end quote. So funny. Too good. Too good. I think that's uh, that's something I've been dealing with a lot, you know, is uh, obviously all three of us are making lots of content quote-unquote for the internet and uh it it has been really devastating to my motivation to do that um Mm -hmm. just because it just feels like who cares like all this stuff is like unimportant i i do a podcast with c robert cargill where he says uh something he said recently on the podcast called right along was he said like uh one of the ways he reconciles what he does given the current situation is that like he is uh, an entertainer when times are good and a distraction when times are bad, basically. Yes, yeah. you know, that's like, a good way to put it, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, uh, and, and if you have that perspective, that's healthy to have that perspective, I think, but it's also just like uh, very uh, demotivating to me. And uh, so that's just been what I'm struggling with. Like we've, we've been doing this podcast for so long that it's like, okay, well, it's not really... Uh, <laughs> doesn't require a lot of out of the box thinking to put out another episode of this podcast. You know this what I mean? This is like breathing. Not like, yeah, not like inventing the calendar. Not you like know? inventing the cross off <laughs> calendar system that I uh, developed. Um, so it's it's like pretty second nature to us to do this. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you know yeah. some of the other stuff like making YouTube videos or making some of my other podcasts. It's more of a challenge, and um, oh, so that's that's what I've been struggling with. I've been having a really hard time focusing, and I was I was just reading an article instead of working the other day um, about how <laughs> college professors actually are having a hard time reading, like reading, they're noticing it in their students having a hard time mm-hmm. reading at all, just focusing enough to read anything. And <clears throat> professors themselves are having a hard time getting through papers and and reading things that the, we are just as a, as a species having a hard time quieting our minds enough to read and i know that reading was already dying and just feels like so depressing to me to think that this is how reading dies (laughs) that we all are so stressed that all we can do is just 
you know, watch TikTok as the world expires. That's about it. That's about as much as we can focus on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I-, I will say one other uh, piece from The Onion that really, I think, helps to capture my week. I mean, in, in Seattle, our governor announced a multi-phase plan for reopening the economy that seems overall pretty cautious and and good. Um, I'll be curious to see what it is like in implementation. But I did see another piece from The Onion that I felt like really characterized my level of despair about the situation, which is uh, the headline is, protesters demand states reopen, notice spike in coronavirus cases, infuriate them by locking down again. Uh, and... <laughs> It says here in the article, pushing back against what they viewed as tyrannical measures, protesters across the country took to the streets Tuesday to hold demonstrations demanding that states reopen, notice a spike in coronavirus cases, and then infuriate protesters by once again locking down. We urge these governors to immediately loosen restrictions on large gatherings, witness an influx of cases, and piss us off further by once more putting in place restrictions. (laughs) That's protester Alison Driscoll. Yeah, their demand is to do all those steps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so anyway. Uh, we've seen a lot of protesters. Uh, certainly, the lockdown has not gone perfectly. You know, there's definitely things that states could have done better. I'm not saying it, they did an awesome job, but uh, overall, I think like reopening the economy uh, too early will. The thing you don't want to do is reopen the economy two or three times, and it seems like there's a possibility that that's what we're heading towards. I don't know, man. I don't. I honestly, at this point, don't even know what the best plan is because maybe we are in this cyclical thing where you reopen and then we close down and then we reopen and then we close down. And It's cyclical. Like, even if we don't get a vaccine, like, there is the idea that we can, we will eventually have some sort of immunity. You know, like, herd immunity will come from people who survived, hopefully. Like, hopefully, yeah. that's what I'm hoping for is that we can come to some sort of solution like that. Otherwise, I'm treating this like... Um, Okay, you want to all you people dreaming about living on Mars for a living? This is it. Yeah. You live on Mars, you can't go outside. There's right. no there's no, <laughs> you know, magnetic protection. You're you're facing radiation every day. Every step outside in Mars is death. So, you know, for now, I'm treating it like, okay, we we're in a crazy situation, but this is also like things we've thought about for a while, like how we how we want to progress as a species. So, I think we I can never, do it. I, I, I think I'm a little more hopeful. I never thought about it that way. We're basically in total recall. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, it's cool. we, we're in total recall. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah Everything's no, great. Nothing Everything bad is great. went. <laughs> nothing bad happened to anybody in total recall. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, uh, wanted to check in with you folks, just as I do every week. And if you are out there listening, we hope you are staying safe, staying healthy, doing what you can reasonably to flatten the curve. It's time to tell you about our sponsor, Quip. Oh my goodness, I love my Quip. I've said before, we have three quips in my house, and we're about to get our fourth because my daughter's about to move up into her own quip. They have kid-sized quips. What are quips? I should have started with that. Quips are toothbrushes, not just any toothbrush, the best toothbrush, a toothbrush that has changed my life. Did you know that 75% of us, that means three out of every four of you listening, are using old, worn-out bristles in your toothbrush? That's just science. If you're one of those people like me who would just use a toothbrush until it was basically falling apart, you're not doing any good. Also, are you brushing for two minutes? Probably not. If you're like me, you're brushing it until you're bored, which is pretty quick, and then you stop. Oral care is important. That's why I use a Quip. Now my toothbrush pulses every 30 seconds. 
It lets me know when two minutes are up because it turns itself off. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about old bristles because I'm subscribed to Quip, which means every three months, as is dentist recommended, I get a little cool packet in the mail that has new brush head, brand new bristles, ready to be installed in that cool sonic, uh, gentle bristle, gentle vibrations, quip, stem, and I get new battery and new toothpaste. It's everything. They thought of everything. I don't have to think of everything. That's honestly my favorite part about quip. I don't have to think about it. I get a new subscription for my for my son's toothbrush. I just plop it in. It's so simple. It's so slick. It's so cool. It comes with little instructions. You just pop off your old bristle. You use your old bristle to clean the the stem, the uh, this quip itself, and then you install the new one. It's so cool. They thought of everything. And if you go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now, you'll get your first refill for free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash filmcast spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T Quip, the good habits company. Let's get to what we've been watching this week. So I had a chance to watch a couple things. Uh, first of all, I had a chance to watch this movie called, uh, uh, well, actually, let's talk about something happy. Let's talk about uh, a fun thing, which is the Parks and Recreation special. Mm. Uh, so people might know that Parks and Recreation did a special this week to uh, benefit a COVID-related charity. And uh, I watched it last night, and it was absolutely delightful. Divinger, I think you saw this as well, right? I have not seen it, oh, but seen I will it. tell okay. you, as um as I was preparing to do like upload interviews and stuff, Greg Daniels let slip like, oh, by the way, we're also, you know, we're, we're doing things like Zoom and bringing the Parks and Rec crew together. And immediately his PR people were like, because <laughs> this was like, you know, several days before he announced it. And then like we got follow up like legal threatening letters just be like, do not tell anybody about this happy Zoom special. Thank you very much. <laughs> so how did you enjoy it, Dave? It was really really good it was so uh, what it is is it, this is a special that came out many years after the final episode of parks and recreation and you're basically just checking in with the characters from the show everyone is in character um, but they are all going through the uh situation that we're going through so like it's in universe that they're quarantining and uh you just you just check in with these folks that you knew and loved from the show and uh and it was all it was just like really uplifting it was funny um they managed to weave in messages about like how you should wash your hands and stay at home and things like that into the actual script itself uh and it came together super quickly so this is like the best of what quarantine tv can be in my opinion it just everyone's making this from home they're recording mm -hmm. it on their own yeah. uh, like cameras at home and and people are editing it together uh you know presumably at another location and it just it was uh it was great it was great uh, if you were I, and just to be clear i fell off parks and recreation at the end i thought it was a brilliant show didn't watch the last couple seasons of it oh, oh really last couple seasons are great. did you see the finale well nope i didn't so i'm yes. oh I'm my god yeah. okay all right it's perfect all right, all right. yeah go back <laughs> you guys are you guys are angry at me now. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought we had all agreed that that is a perfect show, and like we, I, I thought we had all talked about it. But if you want some joy in your life, Dave, like yeah, that final season, it's uh, better than like the one before it. But the finale, I think, is perfect. Yeah, cool. 
Uh, I am now motivated to check it out. But po- but my point being that uh, I hadn't watched the last couple seasons, uh, and I still really enjoyed it. I mean, uh, some of the relationships and people who are married now and whatever uh, <laughs> that was a shock to me. But it, yeah, you know, everything yeah, else yeah, yeah. was was really a delight. Because you I have know, to say, the same uh, by the way, I, I really like the way late night uh, hosts are taking advantage of all this too. Like this is basically the format we're seeing in a, in a lot of different things. Conan, I think, is doing the best of all this. Like I love his his video interviews. It's so interesting to me. Um, you know, I I don't think you guys watch Bill Maher, but I I am so in- no. surprised and kind of um, appreciate how he is handling his monologue uh, at the beginning. You know, so many. People are just sort of just doing it and mm-hmm. looking into the camera and letting it be. Bill Maher's like, no, man, this monologue needs laughter. I'm going to lean into the canned laughter thing and <laughs> have little laugh track during my monologue. And then they cut to clips that are just ridiculous, like an animated crowd of people all laughing or like old stock footage of people from the 50s all laughing in the theater. And that's, I don't know, I, there's something kind of, charming and um effective about just sort of being like hey it's all fake who cares but you need to hear laughter at this part because this is where the people in the studio audience would be laughing so this is what i don't know it's just interesting to see the different approaches is what i'm saying yeah so that's the parks and recreation special it's actually available right now online on youtube you can watch the full special online and uh they are matching donations up to five hundred thousand dollars for feedingamerica.org uh so i'd recommend you check out the special it's great it's a lot of fun Okay, uh, also, I had a chance to watch this movie called True History of the Kelly Gang. Have you guys heard of this movie, True History uh-huh. of the Kelly Gang? We, ta- I, we yeah. talked about this as a potential review. I texted with Devendra about maybe reviewing this. This is the newest film by Justin Kurtzel. Uh, Justin Kurtzel directed the Assassin's Creed movie Which with we Michael all Fassbender. remember and love, uh, right? Unfortunately, I remember it. Yeah. Woo, that was, I was so excited for that movie. So excited. Oh, even his Macbeth too, like yeah. man, we. Mm. I still okay. remember Jeff's comments on the Macbeth review. Yeah, it was pretty brutal, and and yeah. and rightfully so. I mean, Macbeth, uh, I think, was actually a gorgeously photographed film. You know, yeah. like the visuals were really memorable, but the way that the movie used language felt like not uh, not a, a way to honor Shakespeare's <laughs> original text. Yeah, uh, and uh, so the thing is, Macbeth. Yeah, uh, love. Justin Kurtzel, as certainly as a visual stylist, his, his visuals are quite frequently arresting. Uh, but uh, having enjoyed his last two movies, I did like the Snowtown Murders. I don't think uh, have any of you watched the Snowtime Murders. I, I did. I, yeah. I have not. That oh, was yeah. chilling. Chilling. That, that was really yeah. good. That's like from the three movies I've seen of his. That's my favorite one, or the four movies I've seen now of his. That's my favorite one. Uh, I'd, I'd really recommend it. It's about a series of, uh, I guess they're uh, serial murders that took place in a in a small town and uh, yeah, really upsetting. And there's, there's visuals from that movie that will haunt me forever. Uh, but true history of the Kelly gang is a new movie by Justin Kersel. It's based on a novel. It tells a story of uh, uh, Ned Kelly, a notorious uh, Australian bush ranger who lived in the 1870s. And, uh, the style of the movies are interesting. Even though the movie kind of takes place in the 19th century, uh, it, it's shot in a very modern style. Like Marie Antoinette is a good comparison if you've seen that movie where it took place long in the past, but uh, it in fact uh, uses modern sensibility for its storytelling. 
I wasn't a huge fan of this movie. It's a movie that I feel like didn't add up to more than the sum of its parts. Uh, I think primarily because it relies on a lot of knowledge of Ned Kelly that I didn't have. Like if you if you don't know anything about Ned Kelly, I just feel like this movie isn't a great way of explaining to you why he is the way or why he became who he became or what motivated him or, or anything like that. Um, but it does have a lot of really good things that that can I, I can recommend it for. First of all, it's got George McKay who played Sh- uh, Sof- Schofield in 1917. Uh, now, I think we were all really impressed with his performance in 1917, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Jeff, I think you were particularly oh, a fan. Very much. This is George McKay Unchained. You know, this is, he is just over the top. This is like his, like. cuts. It's crazy. You've seen it. You've never (laughs) seen him in such a way. It's like him, his version of like Wesley Stipe's Simon Phoenix from Demolition. Oh, wow. You know, like he is, he goes completely bonkers over the top in this movie. Uh, While at the same time, like much of the performance is also like he's like simmering with a lot of emotion underneath the surface. And uh, yeah, if you want to see George McKay just really go all out, like it's it's a complete polar opposite performance from his performance in 1917, where like he was so reserved in that movie, right? He was bottling everything up, uh, not revealing anything about his his life, his family life. Like uh, so, it's just from a from a pure acting study perspective it's fascinating to see george mckay do a completely different thing you also see uh russell crowe in this movie who has completed the transition to santa claus like character uh (laughs) in terms of both persona and uh physicality uh so he makes an appearance in this movie as well and nicholas holt is a raging asshole in this movie that's just really fun to watch Uh, that's kind of his thing now isn't it yeah like between this and like the favorite like he's very good at that Okay, yeah, that's right. It's very similar to his performance in The Favorite. There is an interrogation scene in this movie that is super, very memorable. I won't say anything about it. You'll know it when you get to it, but uh, almost worth watching for that scene alone. So it's not like the movie's terrible or anything like that. It's just like, oh, all, you have all these great ingredients. You have the visuals that Justin Kurtzel is known for, his you know, really uh, wild editing style uh, that is just kind of very off kilter and, and sets you ill at ease. You got George McKay, Russell Crowe, Nicholas Holt doing a great job. And ultimately it was a movie that felt like, ah, I, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. Um, but uh, there's still a lot to check out, uh, a lot to recommend it if you're interested in any of the stuff I just said. The movie is True History of the Kelly Gang. And it is a movie that you can rent right now in video on demand. It was supposed to have a uh, small theatrical release. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, so now you can rent it on digital. Finally, I wanted to give a shout out to Dave, the yes. FX slash just Hulu gotta give a shout out to your original series. Yeah, yeah. Not, not to myself, but to Dave. Uh, Nobody else this is going to is... do it, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Uh, this, is a mo- this is a show that I felt like really found its voice in its first season. Not every episode was a hit, but the last two episodes, I thought... Masterpieces. Were amazing one-two punch. Masterpieces. Uh, yeah. I mean, just... Uh, the Episode 9 was an emotional wallop. Episode 10 does something that's just so bold. I'm not even going to reveal anything about it, but it's just like... Wow, it takes a lot of confidence to do what they did in episode 10. Dude. And uh, it's it's great. It's I would recommend you check it out. The whole thing's on Hulu. Incredible. <laughs> the thing that I love, dude, I think Dave is one of the best shows 
are around right now. I, I mean, it, the thing that's so amazing to me about the show is that it's about a guy who thinks he's like a generational talent. <laughs> and, like a Kanye West style yes. talent. Yes. And then the Literally, show he, sort he invokes of, Kanye West. The show sort of demonstrates why. <laughs> it's it's extraordinary to me that he um it, it, like form kind of mirrors message in a weird way. Like he is it's a show about a guy who's narcissistic and overconfident. And then the show sort of reinforces why he should be narcissistic and overconfident, but also pokes fun at it. And also because the show is so good, you mean? Yes. It's yeah. it, it, And it, it is doing exactly what he says he's doing. Like the show itself <laughs> is doing what he as a character says he's doing with his art. Yes. He's, he says uh, in that final episode, I lure people in through absurdity and that's what like the first few episodes of the series are of the of the season is is just this kind of wacky fun comedy and then the back half of the season is like oh guess what we actually have some shit to say and yeah. it's really important there's these episodes that take huge swings you talk about the last two which are amazing but even before that the back half of the season there's whole episodes that are kind of devoted to side characters yeah in yeah. in a really brilliant way that you you would see like four, five, six a um, seasons into a show's lifetime, but they're doing it in like episode five. You know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of wild. And um, how good a rapper he is and how late into the season he goes before really doing it. It's it's so cool how – what this show is is shooting for – and I want to talk about that last episode so bad because he does this brilliant thing where he gets away with saying horrible things by making fun of how horrible the things are and saying, if you just listen to the rest of it, it all makes sense. It all ties back in together. <laughs> and, no, and you never have to actually hear the rest of it, but he just has people who have heard the rest of it going, wow, yeah. it really ties into – it's so smart <laughs> and funny and a, like a meta commentary. It's – Dude, I – and then the the mic drop of the last moment of the last episode is so rad that I was like cheering in my house. It, yeah, it was really good. It was really good. Yeah. It's such I a agree. good show. I can't – It's a great show. Get over how good it is for – like it just is this – you start watching in the first episode. You're like, oh, this is a funny, fun, kind of clever idea. And then it turns into a work of art. And I think that's exactly what he's saying his songs do, you know? Mm, mm. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. This is a show that came out of nowhere and uh, watched the first episode and I was like, this is this is really funny. And then, uh, yeah, I, I agree, Jeff, at the end, it's like, hey, we actually have things to say. We have big swings we want to take. And uh, I think <laughs> more of them land than don't. Devinder, you watch any of this show yet? I have not. Uh, I've heard good things. I, I've heard you guys gush about it. It's just not something I've had time for, but I'm looking forward to it. There are yeah. scenes where he, in, in the middle of the season where he's, you know, he's like sitting in a record executive's office <laughs> and they're like, oh, man, we, you know, it's really funny. It's, you, you know, it, My Dick Sucks is the name of your song. And it's just it's so funny. He's like, <laughs> yeah, but do you get it? He's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's It's funny. He's like, no, I don't think you do. And I think that's kind of what the show is saying is like we're tr i'm trying to work on a level here that isn't what you see on the surface and the whole show is doing that it's like no 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 this show is about a dude who's making fun of his dick 
But that's just the hook to get you into like talking about some serious shit. Like it's ah, dude. I just I, I think the world of what is being attempted <laughs> and how well it is succeeding. It's extraordinary. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, you can watch the entire first season of Dave uh, on Hulu right now. You know, this is this is interesting. I read about this um, uh, and this whole uh, FX on Hulu thing. That on FX, the show was getting a few hundred thousand views uh, per episode. But on Hulu, it was, get, it was clocking five million, wow. which is... Yeah. Huge, like massive numbers. Massive numbers. So, I think that whole thing is such a smart move, right? Like it is really highlighting a lot of content that people normally would not have cared about as much, I'd say. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the head of FX has said like we, we, there is a huge market penetration into mm-hmm. people's living rooms of FX already. So it's like the next area of growth is streaming. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's it's certainly been great for that show. And I'm so glad people have been able to check it out. Again, the show is Dave... It is on Hulu right now. I, but at the risk of and you know beating a dead horse here, uh, <laughs> I, I, I um, okay. I don't understand why FX isn't spoken in the same sentence as HBO, Netflix. It, I think it's. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think there's an argument to be made that Netflix has. Excuse me. That uh, FX has a better slate. It can go toe to toe with any network. I mean, you talk about over the over its history. You talk about the Shield, Justified. Um, I, I can't even. Mm-hmm. There's like At- Atlanta. Yes, there's like show after show after show after show. Um, wasn't um, what's that horror show? Uh, the horror that people were really loving. American Horror. Yeah, American Story. Horror Is Story. Yeah. Um, there's yeah they they had all all of his stuff too like yeah it, it may be a consistency thing or like i i don't know if every show has been as good but like yeah you look at fx compared to amc which i think has done a good job of selling itself as like prestige right network tv in a way even though they have a lot of not so great shows too uh mad men helped them certainly walking dead has helped them but yeah it's all it's all really confusing also wasn't the americans fx as well yes the americans um, yeah the americans yep. damages Archer. in it, d- damages in its first couple seasons Dude, damages was <laughs> oh, so okay. good sons of anarchy yes. uh better things um better so things is great a lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of great shows I, my guess jeff is it's uh, it has to do with like the fact that fx is on basic cable and uh, yeah, HBO yeah. is like a premium network that you need to pay extra money for. Yeah. Um, so Baskets, that's my guess as to why. Uh, yeah, Baskets. Legion. But I, I agree. I, <laughs> I agree that that's why. Uh, I, I mean, I agree that the shows can go toe to toe. They are really great. I'm going to keep going. Certainly- Terriers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's a network for people who love terriers too, right? Like Fargo. I think like stuff <laughs> that nerds, that movie nerds, tend to like, but it maybe is brought is harder to get like to mainstream press. Like talking to people about the Shield, and they're like, "That cop show with the bald guy? Uh, that's that's a show you love so much." Like, it, I think the penetration of pop culture is a little different for FX. I don't know. Yeah. I I I take FX in a Pepsi challenge against HBO any day of the week, man. I would. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, everyone. If you're like me, you're probably experiencing a bit of stress right now. And I've been using CBD to help me deal with that, specifically Feels, which is premium CBD that's delivered directly to your doorstep. It's naturally a way to reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. Uh, back when we were traveling, 
I would often take it uh, when I went to the airport. But these days, it's also a helpful thing when uh, the news just makes me feel kind of overwhelmed or I just need help sleeping. Feels is easy to take. You just place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you'll feel the difference almost immediately. It's very quick. Um, They offer real human support with a CBD hotline and ways to, you know, tell you how much to take. Uh, I think the best thing is that it just helps you feel better naturally. You've got a variety of options to choose from when it comes to sizes and dosage. So join the Feels community today to get it delivered directly to your doorstep. You'll save money and you can cancel at any time. And I'm just going to read this from Feels' website. Representations regarding the efficacy and safety of Feels have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA only evaluates drugs and foods, not supplements like this product. It's not intended to diagnose, prevent, treat, or cure any disease. Feels has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. All right. Let's move on uh, in terms of what we've been watching to... Devendra, what have you been watching? I've been checking out Never Have I Ever, the new Mindy Kaling show on Netflix. And let me just say, I uh, I love the show. Absolutely love it. It is about an Indian-American girl in high school who's kind of dealing with her you know, typical high school life. Uh, it's a funny show in the way a lot of Mindy Killing stuff has been. But I think overall, this is the best thing she's done. It's really funny. It's really poignant. Um, it's It's just framed in a really interesting way. Um, let me just say it like this is a show it's a comedy but there's also like this underlying sense of grief like we're introduced to this girl uh, Devi as somebody who has been is kind of an high school outcast because her father died during a public performance you know when she was in band and then she lost the use of her legs Uh, this is a comedy she lost the use of her legs as like a psychological reaction to that and then like the series starts when she's like beginning to recover and coming back to the school so it's not just like you are the outcast in high school it's like every every terrible thing that could have happened to you in high school uh, has happened to you and you're trying to just deal with that and i found that all just kind of interesting because it remains funny and light and colorful it's set in like it's set in california it has a like bounciness of a California comedy. And what's really interesting is that the framing device for the show is just so wild. It is, um, it's the story of a teenage girl's life narrated by a uh, hothead tennis star, John McEnroe, hmm. a very, you know, an older white guy, which John McEnroe. Jo- is it John McEnroe? Yeah. yeah John McEnroe. <laughs> but it's also like, man um his commentary like he's basically giving us like tennis play-by-play commentary of her life and it's so it's so weird and it's so good and they kind of change that up even later on in the series I, I won't say who but just this idea of like you know these um sports idols narrating a kid's life i think is really interesting um yeah this show has a lot going for it i love all the characters um it is a show that you know is primarily concerned about teen girls and what they're dealing with but i think it's accessible to everybody it has some of the like romantic tropes you'd expect but it's funny it's sharp uh all the characters are great i love her friends um 
there's just so much going on here. And it's a show that will like unexpectedly drop an emotional wallop on you. And yeah, I'm just really interesting. It's interesting to me to see like the state of things, you know, talking about like Indian American kids growing up here with immigrant parents and how they're dealing with that. I think among all the shows that have done that, this one feels the most like real and the most modern and interesting uh there's just so much going on here so i'm really digging it if you start the show i think you won't be able to stop like my wife and i we binge this thing in a couple days so yeah heavily heavily recommended uh that's never have i ever it's on netflix right now Devendra, yep. what else you've been watching Also, another Netflix show I just want to quickly talk about, Black AF, the new Kenya Barris show. Uh, He made a big high-profile jump away from ABC, where he was doing Blackish, which was very successful, to Netflix, which um, basically paid him a crap ton of money. I think, uh, is it, it was some like crazy amount. Was it like close to 100 million? I don't know. Uh, But he is on contract at Netflix to make a couple shows. Black AF is basically him remixing Blackish and telling it with like no no censors so it's a story about literally his life like as um you know a rich showrunner uh and a rich black showrunner in la his large family and them dealing with like the the trouble and you know the there's a lot of privilege because they live in a very fancy house and in fact i think part of the show is shot in his like giant la mansion um and there's a lot of privilege going around, too, because the framing device of the show is that his daughter, his teenage daughter, is making, you know, a documentary about his life for her college, uh, you know, admissions. And he hires her like a six person, you know, high level crew of video people like it is it is really funny in a lot of ways. It talks about issues that I think, you know, plenty of black people are dealing with in this country. Uh, it does feel a little like blackish done again some of the plot lines are straight up the same uh and i have to say like as much as i love this guy and his shows and his writing he stars in the show and kenya barris as an actor and as the centerpiece of this whole thing is is a little annoying just just like a whiny just like he's whining about kind of the the dumbest things at times and i know he's trying to comment on his own privilege or the state of society but i don't know if he fully sells it as much as like anthony anderson does in blackish where anthony anderson is a great actor like we've seen him in the shield we've seen him so many things it's weird that to me anthony anderson sells kenya barris um more than kenya barris himself so that I don't know. That's kind of funny. I'm really digging it, though. Um, it is surprisingly profane at times. Like, uh, Rashida Jones plays his wife, and she gets to play an absolutely unlikable character at first, which is interesting to see. Because normally you think of her as, like, the uh, the likable best friend from Parks and Rec or something. Uh, no, she does things in the show. Like, she, she takes Molly and just, like, has a straight-up trip at times. She is very, like... Uh, mean about her kids and very like privileged and uh she says things about like uh, demanding the fastest and most expensive car possible like it's a very i think it's a statement on rich wife characters like this but it is really strange to see rashida jones doing this so yeah yeah just throwing that out there if you like blackish if you like cannabis uh definitely check out black af that's Black AF. It's on Netflix right now. What else have you been watching, Divindra? Two quick things. Cursed Films on Shudder. This is a series. It's a documentary series, basically, about um, you know movies that have kind of a reputation to them, like The Crow, 
like Twilight Zone the movie, like Poltergeist. And it is, you know, it has some people from Fangoria, has Phil Nobel Jr. And people involved in these movies and it just kind of goes into their production and interviews people kind of dives into what the mystery actually is uh i watched the twilight zone the movie one first because i guess i'm a masochist but i really want to know like what how does a production designer feel about like that horrific accident that happens on set and I think it does a great job of, you know, bringing up how these things happened, how these movies were made, the cultural context of a lot of these things like uh, Poltergeist and, you know, potentially using real skeletons in the pool scene because, yeah, everything, it's actually much easier to get like a, you know, a donated human skeleton than to build something that looks realistic. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things like that. Um, I think it's really interesting if you like these types of movies and if you're a fan of these movies, I think this is a series worth watching. I've also been just in general exploring Shudder more recently because I've wanted to like follow up with some horror movies. Uh, they also I really did like a 30 minute free, uh, 30 day free trial during yeah. the quarantine as well. Yeah. yeah, there is a 30 day free trial going around. So check that out. It is definitely worth watching. Uh, okay, so that's Cursed Films. Yep. Uh, anything else? Briefly, I just want to talk about Hunters on Amazon Prime. This is a show about Nazi hunters, right? Like a group of Nazi hunters hunting Nazis in the U.S., starring Al Pacino. It's very pulpy and poppy and violent and irreverent. This should work. Everything about this should work. And I know a lot of people who have seen the show are really digging it. I, I am not. I'm not really feeling it because to me, this feels like it's a very pulpy show, but I think it's pulpy to the point of like excess where you don't really care about anything happening to these characters. Like it's just, it's just so much. And I think I won't spoil what happens in the first scene of this show, but I think the first scene within five minutes, you know exactly what this show is, how it treats human life and what it will take for laughs. And I'm just not into it. So, hey, more power to you if you're enjoying it. I feel like this concept, the concept of like, you know, a rebel group of outlaws who are hunting the Nazis that are in the U.S. I, there's so much we could do here. There, Like, it has the premise for such a great show. But I do feel like the writing and the world building just feels too... It is straight up Austin Powers at time. Like, it just feels too silly for us to take it seriously as, like, a, a campy violent show. So, I'm not feeling it. Uh, yeah, it's a shame, because Al Pacino on TV, how insane is that? Oh, well. <laughs> well, so, sorry you're not enjoying it, but that is Hunters. It's available right now on Prime Video. Let's move on. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? The wife and I finally finished up Ozark Season 3. Uh, Ozark, a show that we have very much enjoyed over the years, and one I know has been a big point of contention with you guys because you are not fans. Um, well, Devendra, how many episodes have you watched? I've watched like the first half of the first season yeah. and tapped out. Like, uh, yeah. I've, I've, watched, it, I've watched every episode, including the most recent season. Yes, but you don't like them. That's correct. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. But Jeff, I don't know, go even know how to handle you, that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go, go ahead, Jeff. I, I will. I have some comments, but you go first. I mean, I know this is going to be a fight, but I, <laughs> I love it. I, my wife and I love it. We are, you know, we immediately finished the the season and got online, and we're looking at fan theory that we have. My wife is convinced of something that, if you know, we want to talk spoilers, we could talk about. But it is a big thing about a big character in the season, and we, you know, we're it's. I find it very fun. It is as it is pulpy. It is uh, over the top. 
but it is wonderful. I find very juicy, fun television uh, that spins a great yarn and uh, has us hooked. I find the performance. I mean, ex- extre- especially this season, Laura Linney just goes through the ringer and uh, some of the other actors on the show just it, it is really it, it it doesn't pull its punches um yes some of the things happen strain credulity but i it's pulpy and fun and i'm just i love i love the yarn i love the the tale being told it's it's real good i think i'm really glad you enjoyed it jeff um Divindra, you you you're probably never going to go back to this, right? I'm I'm, I'm not going to there there is just too much. Yeah, to I'm see. not going like, to spoil I'm not going to spoil anything major or anything like that. But yeah. there is one thing I, I do have to talk about. Um, go for it. Go for but, it. But uh, okay, Ozark season three. Here's the reason I keep coming back, Jeff, is because at its heights, the show is actually really good. Yeah, I think that there are moments there are moments of the show that are like transcendently good. Uh, Laura Linney, this is the some of her best work I've ever seen her. It, I mean, and it's it's Emmy level stuff this season. I agree. Yeah. I agree. She's she's so good, and that's the reason I keep coming back. Honestly, it's mostly for her. Secondarily, for Jason Bateman, we got to see a lot more of Janet McTeer this season too, who's an so amazing actress. Good dude. Yeah. Oh, so good. So the, the, that's my. You ask like, why do I keep watching? The, those are my reasons right there. Uh, Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, Janet McTeer, and also uh, because you said it gets re- it's really good. <laughs> Uh, also, Julia Garner is consistently great as well. So, like, have to give her a shout out as well. Um, but this season is bad, and I think that I I haven't said much about it because I've tried to, I, you know, in general, I'm I'm trying to turn over a new leaf, guys. You know, I'm trying to like not say as much when I think things are like outright terrible. Tr- your I know your new like, leaf is I'm, I'm just waiting until Jeff watches it and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. but also it's a lot it's a lot different. I do think it's a lot different to uh, tweet something like really hateful about a show than it is to talk about it you know, one hour into a podcast episode, simply because uh, a lot more people will not be viewing that thing or, you know, consuming that thing that you said an hour into a podcast episode because um, they've already how, tuned out. How already. dare you? Um, but this also, is the best. We just got to the good part. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I, you and I know that, Jeff. I'm just saying a lot of people don't, aren't, aren't uh, on the uptake on that quite yet. Um, so, uh, and also, like, uh, there's just a lot of nuance. Like, you know, these. The, a season of television like this is the the collective result of like thousands of person hours of work and uh if i'm gonna criticize that i want to at least have more than a tweet to do that you know or write something or even writing something i i didn't even want to write something i because I, I, here's the thing i was pretty angry at this season jeff i was pretty angry because i thought it was pretty bad and i think the the number one thing that sums up why this season is bad is the character of ben this show has been criticized or uh, ridiculed or com- compared unfavorably to Breaking Bad. And it, it, nowhere did this comparison become more unfavorable than this season with Ozark Season 3 and the character of Ben in this show compared to the character of Lalo in Better Call Saul, which is, to my money, like one of, A, one of the best characters in one of the best TV shows uh, on, on that's airing right now. Um you you know who I'm talking about, right, Jeff? Character Ben. Yes, uh, Did I remember it his is name right? Wendy's brother who becomes Wendy's a brother. major p- part of season three. A character who I don't think was ever spoken about, or was, or was rarely spoken about. He was mentioned in previous episodes, but uh, 
comes in the show from out of nowhere. And I knew in the first 15 seconds of this character, I'm going to fucking hate this character. <laughs> because he exists to only generate drama and to contribute absolutely nothing to the plot. He has no char- chemistry with Julia Garner's character, in my opinion. And he is completely useless. Like, he, he contributes nothing except making things harder for everyone. Um, there is nothing to root for there, and it's just it is. Uh, boy, it, I really it, disagree with all. It that. is the most nakedly obvious like attempt at creating like a uh, a plot generation machine that I've seen in a show in recent memory. So his uh, his well, I mean, I I I think you actually are not completely off base, but I think you fail to acknowledge the fact that. His function is to be the truth teller. His function is to be to walk into this situation and say, "Does everybody realize what's happening right now?" And that the to say he is not has, has does not have any redeeming qualities. I think is to ignore the fact that that's the entire function of that character is to force uh, that entire family to look at itself because it was going down a road in a, in a very specific way and forced them to reckon with their deeds. And by the end, this question of like, who's the crazy one, I found to be very powerful. I found it to be very compelling. Uh, that That is the central question with Ben by the end of the season is, who's the crazy one here, me or you? And him screaming at the top of his lungs – this is all nuts. You're all liars. Like literally there's scenes where he's screaming, you are all liars. And that's one of the things I like about this subgenre, right? Is that Sopranos, Breaking Bad, all of these shows, Americans, where you are seduced into rooting for the worst outcomes, right? Rooting for people who by all accounts should be prosecuted to the utmost of the law for the horrible things that they do, you are on their side, you're in their pocket, you're watching them and rooting for them to get away with it, right? That's the fun. Um, I like moments in these kinds of shows where the char- the characters that I would most associate myself with because their worldview, their moral compass is more attuned to mine because they're like, this is awful. We find ourselves going, no, no, no. Get rid of them. Find you know, figure out a way to silence them. Figure out a way to 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 make sure that they don't mess up this cool scheme that we've got going. That's the whole function of Ben. And I get you. I get you saying that he's sort of shoehorned into the dynamic of, that is established over the first two seasons. But that's kind of the point. He's like this crazy outside, um, you know, uh, grenade that's tossed into something that was already kind of off kilter and going but being held together by everyone's desire to make things work and the grenade goes off and forces everyone to deal with it. A couple thoughts. Uh, well defended, Jeff. You know, I think that's completely valid and uh, it's cool that you like him. Uh, I would submit to you two things. Number one, I would argue that the best shows on TV don't need to have that character. That they uh, are like, they're so good that they force you to interrogate your own feelings on it without literally putting in a character screaming the themes of the show at the audience and at the other characters. Um, and 
that's all that character was. And the second point I was I bring up is just there are ways to have that character or a character like that, like a character that comes in to come up the works and make that character inherently interesting or compelling. And again, the character of Lalo, this is a character in Better Call Saul, came out of nowhere. Like just like I, I didn't even know this was a guy. And yeah. came Perfect out of nowhere. Character. So and, good. And yeah, and he's just like, he's like, wow, that guy is interesting. You know, like it's like he, he that guy is a complete freaking sociopath, yeah. and yet he is extremely likable. And it's I, like maybe wow. we just we always love the friendly psychopath too, yeah. but he does it so well, like in a and joker just like, kind oh of way. Oh my gosh, yeah. like I, I want to hang out with this guy, but also he just murdered a bunch of people, and it's like th- <laughs> that that is an amazing accomplishment yeah. for the show to do. And this show, Ozark, just did not accomplish that at all with this major character in season three for me. So. I can understand him landing poorly on you. I, I, I mean, I'm, I don't think the character for me is a home run, but I kind of felt like as an agitator, that's the intended response. He's not supposed to sit well with you. And I, I, I don't know. I guess I give the show a little more credit than you do. I, I think it's easy to say, yeah, he was screaming the themes of the show at the top of his lungs and painting that, <laughs> painting that as some sort of weakness in the show. But for me, in the context of those moments, it really was effective. It it wasn't – perhaps it wasn't as nuanced as it could have been. But I felt like those moments really were uh, impactful. And um, I I don't know. I I don't think necessarily just using a blunt instrument is bad on the face of it. Like it's how it's done and I thought it was done – I thought it was done effectively. I mean, I was I was invested in the outcome of that character. I thought the relationships he garnered through the course of the season garnered, huh? <laughs> I thought the I thought the uh, that's something that's something you would point out, Jeff. <laughs> if I said it, you would have pointed it right. out. Uh, you're right. Um, I I think that. I don't know. It, it worked more, much more f- for me than than for you, and I thought the the last two episodes, especially, were really emotionally hard to watch. It was like the show went there and and did some intense things. I I thought the season was great. All right. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I don't want to spend more time arguing about it, but I, I I'm glad you allowed me to air some of my discontent with the series. Um, and I appreciate you being a good sport about it. Uh, just want to clarify one thing in the chat room. Um, uh, Hamstrung is saying you're not supposed to want to hang out with him, and you said that too. I just want to be clear. Uh, I wouldn't actually want to hang out with Lalo from Better Call Saul because he's freaking Listen, terrifying. I think he's a good cook. <laughs> I think you know it'd be kind of fun yeah. for a while before things uh, get too crazy. I- I'm not saying it's a prerequisite that you need to want to have a beer with any character that is going to be good. Okay, <laughs> just putting that that's out. That's for there. presidents um, only. Okay. Yeah, that's yes. for presidents only. That's right. Okay, Jeff Kanata. Uh, what else you watching? Oh, I also, uh, we talked a little bit about this last episode, um, but Middle Ditch and Schwartz is on Netflix, uh, three specials that are uh, completely improvised, two-man improv, which is my favorite kind of improv, uh, two, two-person improv, um, long form. I have uh, performed improv a lot in my life and love it. Uh, but as we acknowledged last week, very difficult to translate on to film, onto a um, a time shifted experience because it is such a live experience. Knowing that things are being made up in the in the moment, um, it it really is difficult to film it and make it feel uh, as urgent, as immediate, as in the moment as it is when you watch it live. 
And they have really accomplished that with this show. I, I give a lot of credit to how the show is shot. As you mentioned last week, Dave, a, a lot of cameras were used, uh, which is, I think, very smart. Things... Um, well, and, and because typically something like this would be shot with like one or two cameras, like a wide and a tight, and that's it, right? Yeah, I mean... But they really tried to make it cinematic. It, well, I, I, I think even more than cinematic, present. Like you're with them. You're on stage with them a lot. You, yeah. You know, it, yeah. Is, it is a lot of close... It, it's very well edited, and... Uh, kudos to them for leaving, mm-hmm. not trying to edit it into something slicker and leaving in a lot of the the stuff that happens in improv where things don't really sync up or there are moments where they can't remember the names of characters that they've established. And so they ask each other what the, you know, the, all of that stuff is in it. And it really does feel like, oh, I'm watching the hour that they spent in front of this audience as it was, you know, it's not trying to be overly sculpted into something new. Um and it's really funny. These guys are great. They're very, very good. And, I, you know, I, like I said, I don't think their ad sit in Pasquese good, <laughs> but the, that's my sort of <laughs> improv idols. But um, they are very good, very funny, very fun, craft, uh, long form stories that hold together that, I mean, in the first episode, which is called Parking Lot Wedding, there is a setup that the two of them don't know as a setup at the time and it pays off in a, the most beautiful way. And you just watch it happen where uh, Ben Schwartz j- just brings something back that they didn't know they were setting up and it completely pulls the entire story together. It's amazing. And it would, it turned on, you know, turned this weird non sequitur moment of one guy going, Oh, I'm a ghost into uh into something that was like, oh my god, it all makes sense now, and, and and those kind of things. That's the magic of long form improv is when it all feels like it was written because something that happened, you know, fifteen minutes into the show comes back an hour into the show and seems like it was all the perfect setup and payoff. Um, so these guys, you know, that does that takes a lot of skill, a lot of focus remembering and being clear and, and listening. It's really fun and funny. And I think a great improv, um, uh, what's the word? A a, a great welcome into the world of improv for anybody that may be curious about how it works. Yeah. Uh, agreed with, uh, a lot of what you said there. That's middle ditch and Schwartz, and it's streaming right now on Netflix. All right, let me tell you about our new sponsor. This is it. You know, if you're listening to this right when this episode came out, this is it. This is your last chance before Mother's Day to be an awesome son or daughter. Now I want to tell you about the best gift I ever gave. I gave it to my father for Father's Day last year. It's called StoryWorth. I'm definitely giving it to my mom. Don't tell her. Don't tell my mom, but I'm giving it to her this year for Mother's Day because it's the best gift. It's the best way to preserve memories, to be more connected to your loved ones. This is a great gift for for moms for Mother's Day. It's a great gift for anybody that you maybe want to preserve memories with. You want to dig deep and, and learn about their life. What StoryWorth does is it provides prompts, really interesting, thought-provoking questions every week in email form to the loved one that you select. And when they answer those questions, after a year of answering them, once a week, 
they're compiled into a keepsake book that you have forever. I'm so excited to get our keepsake book. It should be happening in June because I did it last Father's Day for my dad. I got a second copy for my sister so that she has it. It's something that we'll have. We can cherish. We can see these remembrances, these thoughts, these this window into my dad's life. And it's something I can pass down to my kids as well, that they'll know their grandpa better. It's so cool. And my dad has loved the process. It's gotten us closer together throughout the whole year. It, it really is the gift that keeps on giving throughout the entire year because every single week I get an email with his answers. And then we get on the phone sometimes and he talks about, it. he's like, oh, did you read my story worth this week? I go, yeah, yeah, I did. He's like, yeah, I guess I never told you about that. And it gets us chatting. It gets us closer. I feel like I know him in a new, interesting way. And I can't wait to have the same experience with my mom. I'm telling you, this is something that you want to do. It's it's a special gift. It's not just a, you know, a simple object that you could just give and forget about the next year. This is something that you're going to love forever. And if you want to give your mom the most meaningful gift this year with StoryWorth, you can get started right away without the need for shipping by going to storyworth.com slash slash filmcast. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's just for using us. That's just for, because you heard it about it here. That's storyworth.com slash slash filmcast for $10 off. S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com. The symbol slash and then the word S-L-A-S-H-F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T for $10 off. Jeff Kanata, anything else? Well, real quick, I just want to mention the fact that the uh, National Theater, I think I brought this up before, but the National Theater, I I Mm -hmm. think it's because of the quarantine, uh, has decided to take their National Theater Live, which was this initiative that I think I I mentioned several times now of um, playing theater, playing uh, the National Theater, uh, the, the videoed productions in movie theaters uh, uh, on specific dates and times. So it's it's like a one-time only, got to show up at the movie theater, and it's almost like watching a live production because they're – I mean, in some cases, they were actually beaming li- the live feed from the room. Um, really a cool idea to sort of open up these incredible productions to a larger audience. Now, because of quarantine, they have done – it on YouTube. And again, they are limited time. I think they're a week or two weeks uh, a piece that these plays and some of them uh, rather old, like they're not, um, you know, they have the, um, the, the uh, two governors from uh, James, what is his name? Um, late night guy, James Cor- uh, Corden. Corden. Yes. Excuse me. Corden. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what put him on the map and got him his late night show. So how long he's been doing that, that was the, play he did before that won him an Emmy or not an Emmy, a Tony and all that stuff. Anyway, I enjoy theater. I've done a lot of it. I love, I love Shakespeare. I love theater. There's an incredible 12th night that I watched. Um, and they just put up, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Frankenstein, um, which is quite good too. And I, I mean, these are, these are filmed versions of plays. It's much more what we were talking about uh, Middle Ditch and Swartz not doing, right? I mean, these are very well filmed, but they are very much presenting a proscenium to you, not really um, yeah. putting the number of cameras on the stage. And I understand why, right? These are running productions that you wouldn't want to just throw a cameraman on stage amidst the actors. Um, but uh, but still very watchable. I mean, some of the stuff is very lo- very big, like it's made for a multiple thousand seat theater, I think. 
uh, the very large theaters that they usually perform these in. So a lot of the performances are, are to the back row uh, when a camera is much closer than that. So some of them don't, it, it maybe can feel a little big for the tiny YouTube screen, but still very much uh, interesting, very, very worthwhile to watch. Uh, I highly recommend watching the National Theater. You can follow them on Twitter. You can subscribe to their YouTube page. And then I think every week they're doing, or every couple of weeks, they're doing uh, new plays. Yeah, I actually, uh, I, I kind of debated with you guys whether we should do um, like a review of Danny Boyle's Frankenstein for mm-hmm. the Slash Filmcast. Uh, let us know if that's something you'd be interested in. But otherwise, we do we do have a plan for next week. We're going to share it with you at the end of the episode. Uh, so when you're, before you write in, know that it's competing with whatever that movie we're going to say is. Um, okay. So that's what we've been watching. And yeah, check out the National Theater on YouTube. Uh, and, uh, they're posting, uh, I think it's called National Theater at Home is the program yes. where, uh, you get to see the programs at home for a limited time. That's what we've been watching this week. Let's move on. Before we get to our review of Bad Education, we got to thank, uh, people who donated to the show, and uh, I, I think this list is pretty current, although there's a couple people on here that uh, might uh, have written in and said, <laughs> hey, you might have forgotten to mention me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so a big thanks to Ethan Lutsky for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month, and also a big thanks to the following people, Michael Elhard, Brandon Day, uh, Brendan Day, Christopher Melle, Elliot Yately from the United Kingdom, Majed Juma, Lisa M. Cook, Tyler O'Hara from Jackson, Mississippi, Josh and Dava Brown, Ki Chung, Sarah Norris, William Harris, and Isaac Clisby. Isaac Clisby, who writes, quote, you guys have been a part of my life for one marriage, two cross-country road trip, uh, round trip road trips, uh, three jobs, something very clever with a four in it, and five years. And I've never gotten around to do anything about it. So here you go. My wife and I listen to the podcast all the time when we're on long road trips. or even just sitting around the house with nothing to do. And we got to say, keep it up, Jeff. Hey. From Hustlers to Aladdin to the Cat in the Hat knows that. Jeff is never afraid to express opinions that aren't necessarily popular or even welcome. <laughs> and we super appreciate that. We tend to find ourselves siding with Jeff on almost every movie we've ever seen to the point that the ones you guys cover that we have to watch are the ones that Dave and Devendra don't like, but have Jeff saying, come on, guys, you can't tell me dot, dot, dot. Yeah, it's like Ozark from this one- week. <laughs> from one set of quarantine parents to another, we hope he's doing well. I like how they say, we hope he's doing well. Yeah. Screw uh, you guys. Fuck for, those guys. Fuck, fuck those other guys. <laughs> we also said, you know, great job, Jeff, for saying the dumb shit no one else will say. I like that. <laughs> we feel validated. Yeah. Because uh, it's one thing for people to be like, hey, uh, nice job on your opinions, Jeff. Um, hope everyone is doing well. But it's like, great job on the opinions, Jeff. Hope Jeff is doing I think, well. I think, the, I think the implication <laughs> is I need the most help in that regard. I think the implication mm. is you guys are mm. fine. Boy, I hope Jeff's okay. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, a shout out to uh, Brian P. Hayes, as well as Gretchen L. from San Juan Bautista, California. Uh, those are some donations that might have come in a while ago that I did not recognize on a previous episode. Uh, thanks to everyone for donating 
And if, again, you donated and I miss you, email slash filmcast gmail.com. I'll make it right. But paypal.me slash filmcast is a place where you want to do that. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. You can also go to the slash film uh, page, slash film.com. Click on the PayPal, uh, the slash filmcast tab and uh, click on the PayPal links on the side of the page to make a regular donation. It's, it's a challenging time for everyone. Please do not donate if it in any way causes you any hardship whatsoever. Uh, there's a really easy way you can support us for free. That's just going to the Apple Podcast page, leaving us a review or a star rating. It just takes a few seconds. Let's get to our review of Bad Education. You look tired. Tired is kicking my ass. I would kill somebody for a carb right now. I don't know where you could find one. You're such a bitch. Oh, would you like a bite? Come on, eat the fucking sandwich. Good morning. I wanted to make a difference. Look, we did. I got us all the way to number four. And I will get us to number one. These are the best early decision numbers that we've ever seen. They want me to write an article about the new budget. Oh, okay. Soundbite. Nice. You want to write this down or are you... Uh... I'm taping. Oh. Okay. It's just a puff piece. It's only a puff piece if you let it be a puff piece. Come. What? Quick. Uh. This is a very real crime here. A theft of taxpayer money. The sum total is 250000 What? Oh, jeez. $250,000. Everything's fine. You can't jump the gun here. Not when there's this much at stake. We need to know what we're dealing with. Frank. After everything we've worked for. Frank. To get this far. Frank. We have nothing to worry about. Frank's going to fix this. That was from the trailer for Bad Education, the newest film by Corey Finley. It's available right now on HBO. Now, before we dive into this movie, it is based on a true story. And uh, I think in order to talk about it, we're probably going to need to spoil it from the outset uh, or at least reveal some plot details from the outset. So, but I'm, I'm very uh, glad I didn't know anything about the true story before watching it. I really am. I, I mean, I know that... Yeah. That's my MO. But in this case in particular- Same, same Jeff. Same. I did the same yeah, thing. I had so no ahead. idea. Uh, I had no idea anything about the story or, or the details of the true story. I mean, it happened way back in 2002, uh, the other side of the country from where I live. So I completely missed it. Uh, and I didn't read any kind of summary before watching it. So I, I'm very pleased. So if you're listening to this and you're curious about it, uh, I would say watch it without knowing anything. I think it'll make a much more fun experience personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't even read. Uh, For me, after I saw it, I read the little HBO blurb when you click on the on the streaming app, yeah. and the blurb like gives away stuff that I'm glad I didn't know. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, anyway, guys, this week I, I had a chance to watch this movie where Hugh Jackman plays a person who is in a position of power and importance when he invites a journalist to investigate him, only to have that request completely blow up in his face and lead to his undoing. But enough about the front runner directed by Jason Reitman, Whoa. guys. Wow. That's a, That's a deep cut deep there. Cut. Deep Jason Reitman cut. I was there. wondering how this was going to relate to Logan. <laughs> 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 Boom goes the dynamite. I mean, uh, it is fascinating that in both that movie and this movie, Hugh Jackman plays a guy who taunts a journalist investigate me, investigate me, why don't you? And then it goes <laughs> I, I don't to, think like, he taunts things. her in this one. But yeah, it's a weird thing. Uh, you're okay. No, you're right. It's 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 not really a taunt in the other one either. But anyway, yeah. Point, point being, 
A lot of similarities. A lot of similarities. Um, <laughs> Hoisted okay. by his own petard, as you yes. like to say. Yes. Uh, I think that's a Jeff quote. But anyway, here's the plot summary from IMDb. Uh, the beloved superintendent of New York's Roslyn School District and his staff, friends, and relatives become the prime suspects in the unfolding of the single largest public school embezzlement scandal in American history. Finger Hardwar, let's start with you. I mean, I think you yeah. were a fan of Corey Finley's last movie, Thoroughbreds, which I thought was I mean, actually I w- pretty great, in my opinion. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. When I talked about it on the show, I just didn't have like... I didn't know really what to make of it. I appreciate it. It's not a movie I like loved, but it's definitely something that's stuck with me, right? Because Thoroughbreds is a movie about like, you know, rich uh rich girls in Connecticut and kind of a lot of issues issues that they're dealing with and there's a specificity to that that I really appreciated as somebody who, you know, I grew up in Connecticut, not in the rich neighborhoods, but I knew those types of people. And I feel a lot of that here because I believe Corey Finley also grew up in Roslyn and he kind of lived through this whole thing. So I love this movie. I think this movie is uh, is thrilling in the way that like, you know, an Oceans movie Hmm. can be at, at its best. And I also love that it's so like grounded in the reality of this town like these. Everybody looks like normal people. You know, like even Hugh Jackman, like his he he looks like a flashy actor, but in the way that kind of separates him from everybody else, and uh, people even kind of make fun of him for it. So I love the specificity of this movie, and I just love the idea of like these administrators kind of getting involved in something, um, this investment going way way wild, and just seeing like the degree to which they have justified it for themselves and how far it's gone for both of them. Hugh Jackman, amazing. Like, this is one of his best roles ever, but I also really loved Allison Janney in this movie. And there, there's just so much. I love um, I love the girl who plays, um, who actually plays the, uh, the, the young reporter who kind of brings this all down. Uh, I believe it's, uh, who is it? Geraldine Veswanathan. Like, she, th- there's so much... There's so much going on in this movie because it's uh, there's so many layers to it. And I feel like this is a movie that's always ready to surprise you, even if you know the basic structure of it. Like, I knew this basic story, but to see it all go down and to see, like, I don't know, like, elements, deeper elements of what their criminality may reveal about themselves, uh, deeper things about Hugh Jackman's life, I found th- there's just so much to love here. But specifically, also the idea that this guy is still like a good educator which is fascinating to me it's not like he's just american psycho i'm gonna take all the money from the school system and you know become as rich and powerful as i can like there are so many scenes in this movie in fact the inciting scene where he convinces rachel to you know don't treat this news uh don't treat this like school newspaper piece like a puff piece make it something real you know it's only as big as you make it and that I, that reminds me of like the great advice I used to get from educators back in the day. Um, he seems like he's deeply empathetic, but what's also interesting is that he can use that superpower and use it to twist and manipulate people to his own ends too. So yeah, so much going on here. I absolutely love this movie. You know, Jeff Kanata. I, I agree about who, Geraldine Viswanathan. She was great in uh, Blockers. Blockers. Yeah. yeah. And I really I can't wait until she has a, a large enough oeuvre. That we can just marathon her, her movie, so you can have a Viswanathanathon. Just really had to go there. Yeah, yeah I, I okay. I, yep. I've heard good things. By the way, <laughs> she's in Miracle Workers, 
and Miracle Workers, people have said great things about her. Jeff, so, yeah. Here's my question is, how long were you saving that up for? Was it just- Really saving it. Was it just like, were, since you watched the movie, or did you just extemporize it just yeah, now? It was just uh, it was off, the, off the cuff, you know? Whoa! <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway- <laughs> Um, so, uh, I, this is a movie where afterwards, uh, I kind of read up, read the article it was based on and read a bunch of like, what was the true story? Uh, I, I will talk about that yeah, later. Me too. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the movie first. Yeah. Right. Um, but I do want to just call out that we will get to like the truth versus fiction part of this. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on bad education? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about bad education are best summed up in the form of a limerick. <laughs> Incredibly watchable scenes about crimes that were clearly obscene. But this film has me asking, teachers multitasking? Do the ends justify the means? Uh, that, that one's a little bit of a thinker, I, Jeff. Yeah, well, yeah, sometimes yeah. you got to mix it up, you know? Can't just, they just yeah. can't be all uh, Viswanathonathons, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I agree with almost every single thing that Devinder said. Uh, obviously, 2020 is a weird year for movies. There's fewer of them. But this right now is my favorite movie of the year. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I am so pleased, as I said in our little intro buildup, I'm so pleased that I didn't know where this was going because I loved how this movie lays the breadcrumbs. It unfolds in a such an interesting way. I really didn't mm -hmm. know who was implicated and where it was going. It really felt like this, almost like a mystery un unraveling. And I love how Devendra referenced an Oceans movie. It does feel like that. Like we're, you know, you see how the plot, it, it, it pulls you forward like those movies where it's like, oh, how's this all going to happen? What's, who's, who's involved and what's, what's the details? And it, man, I really loved it. The performances are all great. It is, uh, it's so juicy and interesting, but central to that, again, as Devendra mentioned, I also love this idea. And I don't know the details, how generous they are being with Frank as, mm -hmm. a, as a depiction of a real life person. But from the yeah. movie's depiction, if we just take the movie at face value and not think about it as a true story, the movie's depiction is what Devendra pointed out, which is this guy is doing good. He is legitimately doing good. He cares. He really invests in the students in a, in a real emotional way. They all seem to get something out of him. The schools are improving in tangible ways. If you take this idea that – if you take it on face value that he is actually good at his job and doing good for the community and making lots of lives better – I, it's exactly what my limerick said, which is I found myself at the end really pondering this notion of, hey, teachers are underpaid. You know, like, obviously, obviously on the – Teachers are superintendents. Uh, well, not as sure. Much. But obviously, obviously on the face of it, this is gross malfeasance and, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not condoning anything that was done. But at the same time, like <laughs> this is money spent by the school district to improve the school district and it improved the school district. Like there's a, a point yeah. at which like, man, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater here in a little bit. Not that I think people should get away with this, not that it's – but it. I love the, the moral dilemma that the movie posed in my brain because mm -hmm. well, it, it, it 
it's an interesting idea is like how far down the rabbit hole and, and the way the movie presents this, mm -hmm. the genesis of this problem where I was like, hey, it was just this, you know, this bagel that I bought and then there was a cup of coffee and then it just kept going and nobody noticed it. I really loved that. I loved how it made me think as well as entertaining me. It's funny at times, very funny at times, beautifully shot, very stylized in some, you know, it's not, it's willing to go into a very almost cartoonish. There are these shots where the, the whole school board is, they're all like cartoon characters, you know, it's, it's really fun. Um, it reminded me a lot of the movie election. Yes. That was the movie that came to mind, particularly in the opening, uh, scenes yeah, as well. I think preparing to speak yeah. uh, b b because in, in both movies, the both election and this movie deal with, uh, the idea of educators who are really dissatisfied with their place right. in life, right? That they, they've, They've achieved what they felt feel like they could achieve. They and like their job is seeing other people go on to achieve things greater than they have achieved. Right. Um, and, uh, and and like the kind of simmering discontentment that can result from that, and then how mm -hmm. that causes people to act yeah. out. And in the case of election, it was rigging an election. In the case of this movie, <laughs> uh, it is stealing millions of dollars from taxpayers. Right. right. By the way, shout out to the Next Picture Show because I believe they did compare these two movies directly. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's a fun conversation great, to listen great to. Great podcast. Yeah. Great podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I really love this movie as well. I don't know if it's my favorite one. I mean, Sonic the Hedgehog is in the mix. Yeah. So who you, knows? You got to have room for Sonic. Yeah. Come on. Got to have room for Sonic. Uh, but yeah, this is this is definitely one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. I think it touches upon all these really interesting ideas. One is. This idea that we should be paying educators more, right? They should mm -hmm. be uh, people who are paid as well as like investment bankers and things of that nature, and, and especially educators in like a rich, rich town. Like yeah, Ross, I mean, it makes like, it, it makes the point that like, he's literally making money for everyone in town. You know, he's literally yeah, right? improving you know all these property values. Property values, and, like, right? Exactly. The movie yeah, points yeah. those things out, and it's like well, you're making a good point here. Yeah, <laughs> again. Do not condone the financial malfeasance in any right. way. You have to keep this keep this going. Uh, and Even this though guy, like, this a lot guy, of the money he's taking is like the tax dollars from you know these rich families who live here too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I do know. think he was. Uh, I've never met the guy, but he does seem like he has sociopathic <laughs> tendencies and his ability mm -hmm. to like lie and manipulate. So like just a bit. Uh, and Hugh Jackman's performance is really great. I think yeah. in this movie, like who, 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 like putting aside whether he resembles the actual real life person. The idea of this guy who has like all this resentment building up, who who lives a triple life basically, uh, and has to maintain all of that, uh, it just you see this guy kind of being torn up in slow motion mm -hmm. during the course of the movie, and uh, I think that's uh, just really great work from him. The uh, the other the, so one aspect is like how, how much do we pay teachers? By the way, the real life this guy Frank Tuson, I think is his name, right? Uh, was paid around two hundred thousand dollars. Evidently, which, still is being paid one hundred seventy-two yeah. grand a year in pension money. <laughs> God, which, I love it. I mean, guys, I, I'm just gonna put this out there. I think that's like, like you can live a pretty good life with two hundred thousand dollars a year. I'll pretty, take pretty it. good. I'll, I'll yeah. take it. If anybody, if anybody wants to <laughs> donate to our, <laughs> our, our uh, PayPal, you know. But my, my point, I guess, my point being that, like. I think that does help to put his actions into context a little bit because mm -hmm. if he was making, you know, 18000 or $25,000 a year, it's like, oh, okay, like, 
It's, that makes it more understandable. Right. But he's making two hundred yeah, grand a year. He's already doing he's like, pretty well, and then the de- he's already doing like yeah. really well, like a, a life that like is would be the envy of many. That's people. That's v- a very good uh, point. It's, yeah, it's very. Right? Good you know, point. you know what I mean. And so he it's wasn't, like he wasn't and, in squalor to start with. Yeah, he wasn't being correct. <laughs> so it's like, but that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough, yeah. and it's like this fundamental notion of greed. And this is a very common story of people who are like surrounded by very rich people and who like end up feeling like they are them, right. you know. And mm-hmm. then it kind of leads it's a to a very their... like talented Mr. Ripley thing going right, on, right? Exactly, yeah. talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, they think they are them, and then ends up leading to their downfall in some way. So our education system, um, I, I like that the education system is just kind of in the background always. The idea of um, how, how much we will do. Uh, mm-hmm. as a society or how much parents will do to make sure their kids get into good colleges. Yeah. And like, it is so cutthroat out there Tones right now. Tones of that and scandal that we saw just last year with um, all those, all those yes. famous mm-hmm. you know, people mm-hmm. trying to buy right. their what, way What, what yeah. are people willing to do? What are people willing to cover up to preserve chances for uh, their children? And I love that line at the end when, you know, he says to Ray Romano, like, I can still get your daughter into Harvard, yeah. right? And like, by the way, you can imagine. <laughs> Romano is yep, great in this movie. Yes. He's, great he's in turned everything. into such we, a good we, actor, yeah. man. Wow. So good. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Um, so, you know, that's one component of it. And then also, uh, by the way, lo- love the fact that American Vandal, the guy who oh, played the guy who drew the dicks in American Vandal <laughs> so in, in this movie. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Um, and uh, and uh, um, Carrie Ryan from The Shield. We've got lots of S.H.I.E.L.D. going on in this uh, this. Uh, <laughs> Episode. Carrie Ryan from The Shield is it makes a makes a small part in this movie too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um wait, Carrie Ryan? Yeah, the Sean Ryan's wife, isn't she in this? I think she's one of the um school board members. Oh, huh. I just oh, yeah. I just okay. recognize her, so I haven't double checked that, but it certainly looked a lot like her. <laughs> well, let's double check that, because that's not the yeah. first time you've thought really strongly that you thought someone was in this thing. <laughs> Dave, we literally we, can have a super we literally kind of got a donation from people saying Jeff says dumb stuff. <laughs> That is unwise. So I'm just doubling down. I'm just doubling down. Uh, yeah. Now, now I need to. Now I need to check. Um, and I don't. I don't, really I don't see, see her either. But I'm looking. Yeah. So it's certain, I don't it's think sure that's looked keep like all her, this though. in. Whoa. I don't think that's correct at all, Jeff. All right. Um, anyway, Jerry Ryan's anyway. doppelgangers in this movie. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. So I think this idea of uh, like how much we pay teachers. And how we deal with uh, corporate financial malfeasance, whether we cover it up uh, as a society mm-hmm. and like what motivates that, um, but also the importance of journalism, right? And how without journalism, this never would have been uncovered. And uh, mm-hmm. the media industry is just getting decimated right now by the current coronavirus pandemic. And stories like this, I feel, really help to demonstrate why it's important to have journalists. Yeah. And um, also this debuted in a high school newspaper. Like I just I wish we had more time with Rachel as a character and her dad too because I feel like there's a lot going on there because he's like what a disgraced investment banker or something. Yeah. Like he he was tangentially involved in something bad but didn't actually do anything bad, but he's still kind of disgraced and yeah, people talk about him behind his back, I guess. Uh but she as a character is so brave all the decisions she makes like she has the thing where she wonders if she shouldn't do this and even her editor does the thing you also see sometimes in journalism of people just being complete uh cowards and kind of kotoing the the line of power well and I mean, to she be fair he's like a high school that. sophomore or whatever you know in this movie sure, at least. sure he's a high school <laughs> sophomore but he's somebody who's trying who wants to go on and do 
you know, do journalism for like he wants to go be a journalist. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's a high school sophomore. But so she was even younger. Right. Like a lower level reporter. And I just think like that is that sort of like grit and tenacity. I really love in newspaper movies like to me this is a great newspaper movie along the lines of like um spotlight yeah. or something like it's teen, it just spotlight it teen edition oh. although it is interesting yeah. to note that also, that he, is the biggest part of the movie that is completely fabricated that is uh yeah absolute her, her fiction. Whole character, yeah. <laughs> but yeah yeah, yeah. Well, l- well we'll get into that but but uh shout out to alex wolf who plays the the newspaper editor who by the way is a senior in the i was i was being facetious a little bit but yeah he's a senior because he says at the end like uh, Hugh Jackman's character is writing his recommendation right. letter. So, uh, but <laughs> yes, he is yes. also uh, the main lead in Hereditary and still yep. playing. Uh, yep. uh, I think he pa- he passes himself off as a high schooler pretty convincingly this movie. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like the role of journalism in uncovering this kind of stuff uh, is really important. And if there were if the entire journalism industry were to collapse or if significant parts of it were to, uh, then you know, like stuff like this just would never be uncovered, and yep. uh, that would be. Uh, to the detriment, and of I us like all. how I like how the movie depicts her journey through this as mm-hmm. sort of honest and not like none of the people that try to dissuade her, most notably Alice and Janney, mistreat her or you know there's yeah. no there's no villainy that she I- immediately recognizes. She's just <laughs> curious and kind of wants to do a good job, and everybody's like, okay, you're doing great, but. This, this don't worry about any of this. And she just keeps at it. Yeah, I like yeah. that it wasn't drawn in such broad terms that it, it felt like she was on a crusade from the beginning. She was just right. she was just trying mm-hmm. to do a good job, you know? Yeah. It's kind of the the banality of embezzling evil, as it were, <laughs> right. you know? Like Yeah. But uh so a couple other things about the filmmaking on a call out before we move on to like the truth versus fiction part of this is uh, I think the school as a location is really well realized in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, j- the way it's lit, like it, it looks like it's like lit by all these fluorescents, and yeah. um, it looks like a prison. <laughs> it looks yeah. like a broken down <laughs> prison. Like every time you see inside a classroom, like this is a movie about a lot of these administrators flaunting wealth in so many ways, like with houses by the beach, but the classrooms are disgusting yeah they're leaky they're leaking yeah. and and even as they enrich themselves like they never fix things up um mm-hmm. i mean really it's it's really breathtaking the extent of the theft you know like if they had just stolen like if it had been only in fact a couple hundred thousand or something like well, that how yeah, brazen I feel like they, they are could have... living these extravagant yeah, lifestyles the brazen. fact that even yes. even in the the true story of it this is not embellished for the film that um allison jenny's character drove a Porsche that had a personalized license plate talking about the yeah. rich community that she lived in and she drove it into school every day. Like, yeah. yeah. I think it was a Jaguar. Yeah. Oh, it was a Jaguar, sorry. But yes. uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and those Concorde flights, yeah. Concorde flights are true. Well, and uh, his, well, the uh, Concorde flight I kind of get, like, assuming nobody will know about, but when you drive your sports <laughs> car into, that has a personalized <laughs> license plate into work every day? Yeah. Man. The uh, the plastic surgery, and he, he apparently spent like thousands of dollars, $50,000 on like diet uh, supplements or diet uh, assistance. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it really is breathtaking to behold. The only other thing I want to call out about the filmmaking is uh, I really enjoyed the score by Michael Abels. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of very minimalist, uh, but also like ramps up the tension in a way that I thought was really effective. So, anyway, shout yeah. out to that. 
But let's talk about some of the the things that didn't happen. I, Jeff, you've already pointed well, out. Well, one thing I want oh, to bring up yep. to you before we get to this point too, like this is this is a movie too about a guy juggling, you know, his his homosexuality and how he didn't feel he had it. He, he you know hit it for thirty years apparently, like some some right. extreme. He, he claims of time. that's not true. And I just he find that none of that's true. Yeah, yeah, film, yeah. But... Sure, sure, sure. But it just in the movie. Yeah, it is. Um, to me, it's interesting to see somebody who's not only like, you know, come up with so much contempt for the society around him, but maybe as a character, somebody who felt like he could never be himself. Like there, there is so much like latent rage here in terms of how he's taking it back or how he's, you know, striking against society where he could never feel fully comfortable. I found that really interesting as well. And th- there are several reveals in this movie about like his relationship, his actual long term relationship there's a scene in like a, that Upper East Side apartment building, which I think is just one of the best like shot reaction so shots. It was amazing. It was amazing. So, that, that's so long. The whole sequence yeah. was so good because yeah, you know the the student journalist is there. I'm sure that didn't happen in real life, but the student yeah, journalist yeah, yeah, is yeah. there, and then she sees him, and then they they, they like make eye contact for a second, mm-hmm. and then it cuts to him kind of eating at dinner and you can tell he's still thinking about that event that just occurred like he's putting together the pieces of like everything that had to happen for her to be there in that moment yeah it's so great too it's it's like a straight up like mission impossible scene too like she (laughs) she goes there she doesn't know what to talk to the guy but she sees hugh jackman come and she runs away we we think oh maybe she got out nope nope (laughs) it's so good how she almost gets away and then doesn't the i love the the shot that's the sort of pov shot of her talking to him and then how it's slowly uh you know, uh, the zoom, the, the lens changes to, so we focus in on the background mm-hmm. for a second. And then he like leans in and is like, Hey, what are you looking at? It, it's, it's yeah. so great. It's yeah. so, also yeah. great. A very subjective point of view. Yeah. Very, very good. Um, but I think overall we love the movie and also as a piece of historical fiction, I think that we've reviewed a lot of things based off of true stories, right? right the right. Irishman and the social network and things like that. And this is one where I felt like it's it takes these facts and makes it into a really compelling narrative. And I felt like having read the actual true story, I feel like uh, it got most of it right. Like there was very little. I thought, oh man, that was really unfair that they well, did that. Well, I mean, the, the whole thing that you um, based your Boom Goes the Dynamite on is not true, but I, I, I but I think correct. it's a very effective correct. Hollywoodization of the story where mm-hmm. you are you are the reason for your own demise you know that that hubris of encouraging yes. her to to dig deeper and not just do a puff piece evidently none of that happened <laughs> they were they found yeah. it's like yeah. somebody slipped them a note that you know, it well, was, yeah that was inter- interesting cuz the whole basis of it was that an anonymous note was received yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that accused so this is what actually happened it was they, they received an anonymous note accusing the guy the Hugh Jackman character of embezzlement and it, it was an anonymous note no one knows where from um, and the movie didn't include that right. at all which i thought was pretty surprising my guess is because they didn't know who it came from and so yeah because they yeah. didn't know who it came from they didn't want to leave that thread open and so they just didn't deal with it at all well, and the and, stronger the uh, strong the, the thrust of what's important is that the student journalists are the reason that the, any of this came out in the first yes. place. It was it, yes, it was covered by all these big newspapers, but the first newspaper to break the story was the student paper. And so, if you're writing a screenplay about that, you want to 
amalgamate all the students that did it into one courageous character mm-hmm. that follows yeah, her nose. Into one student. You know? Yeah. Yeah, into into, into one student, even even though this was like this is a thing that like the the movie builds up to this one big moment of the student publishes it and oh my gosh, it's shocking and at work everyone gives him the disapproving look. Um in reality this obviously took place over many months. And sure, it was sure, sure. many newspapers that were involved in it. Um, the the student newspaper was just the first one that tipped them off, but like Newsday really got in on it, and ev- quote unquote every newspaper in the tri-state area got in on and it. And also, evidently, um, it took and- two years of him still working at his job, Frank, um, <laughs> between when the Allison Janney character yeah gets arrested and or yeah gets arrested and he goes down. So the movie compresses a lot of time as well. But you're right; I think the the major mm-hmm. beats feel authentic to what seems to have the, happened the, the, the emotional yeah. truth right i think is it comes through um from reading the real the reality of it this is also mm-hmm. a case of you know we talk a lot about whitewashing uh where characters that used to be a person of color in a specific work uh then become a white person in an updated work happens quite a bit uh really really frequently frequently enough that there is a term for it and uh, this is an instance of brownwashing that I, I guess that because the, the real life character uh, is a woman named Rebecca Rombaum, and um, I believe she is white. And I thought, uh, anyway, but it's just an inter- it's a it's a case of uh, brownwashing where like, well, and, I, and she's an amalgamation. Yeah, of I think that's the more too, yeah. salient point is that it's not taking a character that was white and turning her brown. It, it is taking mm-hmm. a whole group of people that did a thing and turning it into yeah. one character that's new. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but I thought that was a yeah. that was a nice touch. Um, that they, yeah, that yeah. That, I I personally dig it. It's just it's nice to see different people in general yeah. like take on these roles. Dave, you brought up the scene of him like walking to school and everybody giving him disapproving looks. I have to say that is so that is so perfect. <laughs> you know, like it's such a quiet thing, and like this is a time the internet existed, but you know where they weren't as connected at the time. But the way the students look at him and then the way the staff look at him, it is such a perfect like going to a fancy dinner party and saying something, you know, really off color or something where you just like you broke the decorum <laughs> yeah. of this of this society. You are now an outcast. And it's so perfect. It's a great shot, too, because you're on. It's like a, you're facing mm-hmm. him. Yeah. And then you're only seeing the disapproving looks from behind him out of focus. Uh, mm-hmm. And then slowly it becomes more and more in focus and slowly it's revealed like the true immensity of uh, the reaction. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great moment in the movie. I really so. liked the fact that so much of what Frank says y- you kind of can agree with. Like there's that sequence it, with the, um, you know, the, um, the annoying mom and her kid who's always coming into the office uh, where he loses mm-hmm. it. And in most movies, that's the moment where he turns into a monster, right? Yes. But he's yes. still trying to help the kid. Like he's he's lost yeah. it. He's yep. broken. He's he's cracked in some way. He's louder. Yes, but he's still but, yeah, trying to get the kid to helping. understand what acceleration means. Like he gets – he's still being an educator and he's still being kind of respectful. <laughs> and when she leaves and says, you should be ashamed of yourself, I went, no. He was doing really, he's still like obviously a monster, obviously a, a terrible person. Yes. But like in yes. that moment, he was still a pretty decent guy. And I, I kind of dig that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that raises one one final point we can discuss, I think, which is that uh, I remember when we reviewed American Vandal with Ar- Alan Shurstel, uh on this podcast. American Vandal was 
a film based on a true story of these guys who robbed a library. And the, the, one of the motivations they had for robbing it was like, they're like, our, our lives are not interesting enough. You know, we need to do something interesting and cool. So let's <laughs> rob a library, you know? And uh, Alan made a point. He's like, uh, on the one hand, you know, these guys are villains in the movie and they're clearly depicted to be assholes. But on the other hand, you know when the real-life people that this these characters are based off of like go on a third date, this movie's going straight into the <laughs> DVD player. <laughs> Something along those lines, right? And I think the only downside of this, uh, this movie is that it really makes this character out to be extremely sympathetic. Yeah. He's played by mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman, who is very charismatic. Yep. And yep. he gives that speech at the end where he rails about how we treat educators so poorly. And you agree with him. You're like, yeah, you know what? We should treat educators better. And you, I do understand why you stole $4 million, <laughs> right. you know? Well, and I think even, that, even that, more that, than that, the very last moment of the movie is a pseudo dream sequence that seems yes. to have the movie come down very firmly on the side that all his greatest dream was for them to be number one. Like, that's all he wanted right. was the... That's all he wanted. All this guy wanted was to be right. number one, right? Why it's do you want kids? Why do you want to yeah. stop that yeah. from happening? He also it's wants for to the be children. number one. It, this is know, for forever. What forever. he did is for the children as much as what Walter White did in Breaking Bad was for <laughs> yeah. his family. I yes, think. he's a complete Walter White. You know, like the way he self justifies, it's it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. So that's the one part of the movie that kind of troubled me a little bit. Is like you know I don't know that it's I think it might paint too sympathetic of a portrait for this guy uh, based on what we know. So anyway. Stuff to think about, stuff to reflect on. That's our review of Bad Education. Uh, we had a great time with it. Check it out on HBO if you listen this far and haven't seen it for some reason. <laughs> uh, find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger, although we didn't use it today. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. This episode was edited by the great Baby Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what movie we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Devendra, where can we find more of your work on the internet? Oh, you can find me on at Devendra. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. Uh, I write about tech at Engadget.com. Check me out on the Engadget podcast. We just had a brief interview with Greg Daniels and the cast and crew of Upload. So that was a fun chat. Go take a listen. How about you, Jeff Kanata? You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. And a, I do a long-form Dungeons & Dragons show. Uh, it is called The Dungeon Run. You can find that wherever you get podcasts by searching for The Dungeon Run. You can also find it on YouTube because it is a video show as well. We just debuted um, virtual reality set, which is pretty rad to see. Really, really nice. cool way to do minis yeah. and maps. Uh, so check that out on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run or watch it live Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. Check out my other podcast, Culturally Relevant. Also, just announced this week that I am hosting a new show uh, brought to you by Audio Boom called Truth versus Hollywood, uh, where we uh, analyze movies uh, that were based off of a true story and talk about what was true and what was not. And we have experts, people who were involved in the actual true story uh, on the show to talk about their uh, reflections Ooh, it's on like, it. This is like bad um, education so, should be a, a prime candidate. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, so uh, the show's Truth vs. Hollywood. It debuts in June, but you can subscribe to it now on your podcast platform of choice. I co-host that with Joanna Robinson. 
Next week. Okay. So, uh, let me give you some insight into how this generally works. There's, there's usually a new release uh, calendar where uh, the three of us gather together and we say, hey, let's review blank next week. And then we argue about it, we discuss, and then we decide, okay, fine, we'll do it. Uh, well, there were many there are many things coming out on video on demand and, and you know rental and everything next week um but there was nothing we could all really agree on uh that was coming out recently that we're like hey we should all you know review that um mm-hmm. because we want to review something that kind of hits this uh challenging to hit mark where it's uh it's something that we think people are going to want to listen to uh and it's something that we're going to want to talk about and it's something uh, that's going to make for an interesting conversation. Uh, so, what, sh- what should be coming what, out right now, Dave? Isn't, isn't it like Marvel movie week? Wouldn't it normally be <laughs> beginning of May? Shouldn't we be watching Black Widow or something cool? It would have been Black Widow. Uh, would have been Black Widow. Killing um, me. Black Black Widow was supposed to come out last uh. week. So, in a in an alternate universe, Dev style, yeah. we are uh, <laughs> we are watching Black Widow and Mulan and all those other things. Uh, so what we have done, Jeff Devinger and I, is we've started preparing a list of movies that uh, are on our list of shame that we've never seen that we want to see, uh, and also movies that we just want to review on the podcast from from old movies that we want the other guys to watch, right? And so uh, we, we we started preparing that list, and so uh, I called it. The Slash Filmcast Contingency Plan. That was a, is a Google Doc that we started a few weeks ago. In the event that we didn't have anything new to review or that we could all agree on, we would just inflict upon each other uh, movies that we wanted to watch or, or really wanted the other people to watch. And next week, we are going to be reviewing one of those movies. Jeff Kanata, you want to tell us about this movie that we're reviewing yes. next week? So this is a movie that is on my list of shame. It is... Maybe the one of the biggest movies of the list of shame, simply because I kind of don't know how I got this far into my life without having seen it. Uh, friend of the show, my friend, my old partner in crime, Dan Trachtenberg, has often gotten very heated with me about the fact that I have never seen Lost Boys. So we're gonna we're gonna rectify that situation. I'm going to watch Lost Boys for the first time. Dave and Devendra are going. C- correction, Jeff. It is it's, it's the, the Lost, Lost Boys. Excuse me. The, the Lost, Lost Boys. The Lost Come on, Boys. Yeah. Come on. You're, this is off to a bad start. I don't know anything about okay. it. Yeah. I know there's vampires in Kiefer Sutherland. That's all I know. <laughs> there's also a definite article. Yes. The, the I'm yeah. excited for the the that's gonna I'm gonna see. Uh, but Dave and Devinger <laughs> are gonna revisit the the classic Joel Schumacher, The Lost Boys. That's gonna be our review on the Slash Filmcast next week. The Lost Boys. Uh, we'll try to have a fun guest on for that one but yep that's it for today's episode of the Slash Filmcast thanks for listening we'll see you next week we watch the movies flicks tracks for the good bad it's the Slash Filmcast for all the news and the movies coming out cause you know that it's the thing worth talking about